0: Hey, Kevin. Yes, Keener. I think this is the time we remind people that after the credits of each podcast, we have the fan mail, and then sometimes we have great bloopers or great something, little surprises, little nuances, little things to the very tippy, tippy, tippy last second. It's good to the last drop, Keener. Amen, brother.
1: Straw
2: Hut Media. How many times was Bunny stabbed? Eight times. Was it eight times? Eight times.
0: times. Ooh, does eight so. mean maybe something? A
2: different person did it. Maybe a different person stabbed her every time. Just kidding. Absolutely not. You know what? No, <laughs> it's Linda okay. We fun. love red herrings. We don't care. You should
0: just say no to <laughs>
2: see um, now. Is he kidding yeah. people? Is he kidding? <laughs> yeah, I'll never tell. I'll never tell anyone who it was. No one in my life knows who it is.
3: Who are we? We're a couple of true crime aficionados.
0: Kind of like Charles, Oliver, and Mabel. The three main characters in the Hulu original show Only Murders in the Building. Now in season two. And we're here making a podcast
3: about a show where the characters make their own podcast about a murder. I'm your host,
0: Elizabeth Keener.
3: I'm your host, Kevin Lawn. Why are we here? To solve a murder. And to try to figure out who the killer is before all is revealed in the season finale.
0: We may not be in the Arconia ourselves, but we'll get some inside information from members of the cast and crew and clues to help us piece it all together.
3: Today we'll be talking to the writer of Episode 8, Madeline George, plus Michael Cyril Crichton, who plays Howard Morris, and Ali Stroker, the Arconiac and host of the Hulu after show, One Killer Question.
0: We'll also hear more from showrunner and co-creator John Hoffman. We'll talk
3: about Howard's season two glow up, the art of the yodel, and whether or not we know the true identity of Glitter Guy.
0: As of now, we've seen the first eight episodes. So listeners beware. We're going to give a quick recap. If you haven't watched, hit the pause button, stream episode eight right now, and come right back so we don't spoil anything for you.
3: Episode 8, Marv narrates the opening of this episode. He has a theory about the 6th Avenue slasher, and we're in the midst of a blackout. Sometimes, a killer stands out.
0: Mm -hmm. And Oliver's DNA results come in But he can't see them because the phones are down The elevators are down too And there's general mayhem in the lobby of the Arconia The trio has
3: to hike all the way up to Charles' apartment On the 14th floor If they want to protect Lucy
4: She's at my place all alone If the killer is after her Oh
0: yeah, and meanwhile Lucy is home alone at the apartment When she hears someone breaking in She escapes through the secret passageway in the bathroom And the intruder follows her in
3: A romance is blossoming between Howard Morris, the cat guy, and Jonathan, the handsome new subletter on his floor. I was just coming to see if you had any batteries I could borrow.
2: That's amazing, because I was just going to come and ask if you had any batteries I could borrow. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: funny. Lester and Nina have time to bond while Lester catches his breath after climbing 14 flights of stairs to bring her a package. The trio
3: goes into the secret passageway to find Lucy who's still running from the intruder but the sound of someone else in the passageway scares the intruder off.
0: And then there's a great moment when everyone in the Arconia sings the sound of silence together. And the vision that was planted in my
3: brain. still The trio finds Lucy, and she finally admits to them that she was in the walls the night of Bunny's murder, and she heard the killer sneeze.
0: And in the stairway, they see someone running down the stairs in a suit and mask. Mabel hits them with a bag of dips. They come in handy. (laughs) They come in handy. The power (laughs) kicks back on, and it's Marge. But he's not the killer,
3: and he wasn't the one chasing Lucy. He was actually trying to protect Lucy from the 6th Avenue slasher.
0: Down in the lobby, Detective Krebs shows up. He's being very suspicious. He has an injury on his arm, and Mabel spots pink glitter behind his ear, leading us to believe he is Glitter Guy. You don't seem like an Upper West Side guy to me, Detective Krebs.
4: Don't I? I go to Zay bars all the time. Best bagel, cream cheese, and lots in the city.
5: If we were kind of breaking into a jog in season one, uh, like we started to sort of sprint and tumble in season two as a writing group, I think we felt really like at liberty to make big leaps and take big swings and try really fun stuff. Um I hope that's true for all the other people. That's how it felt for me.
0: This is Madeline George. She's the writer of episode 8.
5: I really care about being a, like a representative New Yorker on this writing staff that's LA based and so like that's that's why I wanted to to work on the blackout episode we
3: talked to her last season two for the episode she wrote with kim rosenstock episode six to
0: protect and serve
3: and the writer's room is a collaborative place even though there's one or maybe two writers credited on any given episode most of the plot points the scenes and the jokes are created collaboratively
5: there's some amount of writers getting to identify like where they feel a connection with something thematic or something you know, in the content of an episode, but it's not like the writers are like, put me here. And then <laughs> that's what happens. You know, I think it's it's more like a matchmaking process that the showrunner does trying to figure out where people might be best used.
0: Case in point, the blackout. Madeline wanted to be the one to write the episode, but she wasn't the one who pitched the idea initially.
5: The blackout. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was Joshua Griffith who pitched the idea initially, I think, um, to have a blackout episode. And we're not the first TV show to do it, obviously. But it is like a rich and exciting territory to explore, like what happens to New York City in a day like that.
3: Especially in such a big city like New York and th- then seeing all of the residents of the building all together, trying to figure out yeah. what to do and getting exactly. a little
5: buzzed
3: on gut milk.
5: <laughs> <laughs> sure, well, why wouldn't you? I mean, getting drunk is a is a classic uh, approach to handling a blackout. Um, when everything shuts down, like, why shouldn't you, you know, eat all the ice cream out of the freezer before it melts and drink everything in the cupboard?
3: You kind of have to, it's
5: gonna go yeah. bad. <laughs> I mean, I've I've lived in New York for a really long time and I've lived through all kinds of catastrophes in New York city, like terrorist attacks and superstorms <laughs> and multiple blackouts. And I feel like there's this idea that like, oh, New Yorkers will tear each other limb from limb in a crisis, but it's really the opposite. New Yorkers come together in a moment like that. People come out of the woodwork, people emerge from their apartments and they join each other on the street. And then they like, yeah, you know, it's, oftentimes it's about like drinking together or eating all the ice cream out of the freezer in the bodega or something like that.
3: <laughs> and the next day, when the power is returned, there might be some regrets. <laughs>
5: yeah, no doubt. Or you never speak to those people again. We have a
4: blackout, people. We need to get to Lucy. She's at my place all alone. If the killer is after her. Wait, Lucy? Your semi stepdaughter? Not now, Marv. We're in crisis mode.
5: Well Marv I think maybe the writers hold a collective mythology around Marv that goes much deeper than any we than appears on the screen even but First of all, the amazing Daniel Oreskes plays him, and I think brings so much kind of wounded humanity to that character. And so we have imagined him. You know, of course, he's a super fan. That's one of his main activities. He has this sort of complicated family and home life that we barely refer to. Um, and then he's he his profession is we learned this this season a mold inspector, which means he's like you know, getting into the cracks and crevices and behind the walls, so to speak of other people's houses. Um, and in that way he sort of parallels our investigators. Um, but you know, he's just like, I think we, I think we feel like he's got a big heart and, um, has trouble figuring out like where to put his, all his emotions. And he ends up in this sort of anti-hero role in 208 where he really, where that really goes to the ends on it.
3: Marv overhears that Lucy is in danger and he springs into action. And luckily, he's at the Pickle Diner with the other superfans discussing the disappointments of season two of the podcast, not ours, when the power goes out.
0: Definitely not ours, KK. Never in a million <laughs> years.
1: Paulette seems like she might be either like the president or vice president of the club.
0: (laughs) This is Allie Stroker. She plays Paulette, one of the super fans.
1: She's just organized. She's trying to keep everyone together. And like the reality is, is like the rest of the super fans are a little bit of a mess. And so (laughs) I kind of play like mama, you know, like mama hen with them and um, keeping everyone together and on on task. (laughs) Um, and, master. you know, I imagine, like, that... Yeah. Imagine Collette's, like, from upstate. She definitely, like, drives down to the city she does not live in the city um and i also like had this idea that she was like really into horses <laughs> why horses <laughs> i just imagined paulette as like a horseback rider she like has a lot of horses and she also just like loves this podcast so she's you know she's you know upstate she's not like a city gal she's right. more of like a country gal
3: Allie also hosts the official Only Murders after show, One Killer Question.
0: It's very fun, but KK, are we not the official after show?
3: No, we're like the gut buzz zero and they're the gut milk original.
0: It really it really is so fun
1: to like get more out of each character and learn more about them. So some of the episodes have our characters and then some of the episodes have like special guests like melissa rivers Joan Rivers' daughter is like Mm -hmm. on our is it like came um jane howdy shell our bunny i mean they're like super fans of the show so it's like they watch and they have and i think that that's also so fun that it's not just our characters that that have something to say it's like people Mm -hmm. become fans of the show so quickly because of the way it's set up. And we all feel like a detective.
0: And one suspect we detectives feel like we can cross off our list now is Howard Morris.
3: And season two Howard has experienced some growth. Mm -hmm. Well, Howard got a glow up.
2: My clothes were so uh, much better because (laughs) he's he's out of mourning. So I got to wear some colors and some giant sweaters and um, it was really fun. This is Michael Cyril
3: Crichton. He plays Howard Morris.
2: The cat guy. Last season he was so deeply entrenched in his mourning that he was pushing people away. He was a lot sharper with people, I think. This season, I, I feel like Howard wants to come out of his shell a bit. He's realizing maybe he needs some human connection. And um, he really has a history with the building. He definitely knows everything that's going on. He's, 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 he's very interested in other people's drama. And he's obviously a bit of a gossip. Um, And I'm sure that Uma and Bunny are great gossips, too. So I think he probably kept close to them. Um, But yeah, he knows he knows a lot more than he lets on, I think.
0: Mm. Um,
2: And he just is nosy. He's just nosy nosy neighbor. He's like that classic (laughs) nosy neighbor.
0: Right. But you love him (laughs) because he's so lovable. So that's why you yeah. can't, even if he's a nosy neighbor, he's not one of those Mrs. Kravitz. He's like the other, you know, the other side. Yeah. I mean, like, he has, he has a bit of a sharp side.
2: Like, yeah. <laughs> I always think of him as, like, his feelings really go moment to moment. Mm-hmm. So he can be very happy one moment and absolutely furious the next. And oh, it yeah. just depends on
3: what signals he's getting from the person he's talking to
0: (laughs) okay he should be off our suspect list don't you think yeah uh
3: he was in his apartment and he had his uh neighbor over for a glass of wine and a lot of candles
0: and by the way kk we know exactly where he was during the blackout and it wasn't creeping through the walls exactly
2: i have been alerted to many of the theories that are out there Mm -hmm. i have heard that people think it are, well, are just have decided that it's not me in the uh, passageways because I'm not thin enough to fit through them. Which, to I say, what I say to that is, how dare you? And I wore a Spanx t shirt to the premiere and looked svelte as hell. So it, I, it could be me anywhere in that building. I could squeeze my way through anything in that building.
0: You know, how dare they? He is svelte as can be, that Michael Cyril. So I don't know what they're talking about.
3: <laughs> Howard also seems to want to help the trio solve Bunny's murder.
0: How does Howard feel about the trio and how does he want them to see him?
3: I think uh,
2: uh, my take and, mm-hmm. and, you know, it changes for me as an actor episode to episode because I don't get each episode. I don't get the episodes ahead of time, like as a whole. So you're kind of learning. You take each episode at truth value or or what I think is truth value for each each single moment. So uh, I really believed that uh, Howard was trying to make friends with the trio and is maybe a little bit of a star fucker because he's like into the fact that they have this really successful podcast that he loves and is very clearly has his own ideas of what the podcast should be. Um, you know, he has ideas for episodes. <laughs> this is like me with the writers. Uh, <laughs> you know, inserting myself in uh, the, you know, uh, but just kidding. Uh, but this is, you know, he has, he. I don't know what his agenda is. I just think he wants to be part of something mm-hmm. more. He's looking for a community and he's like, right. maybe I can get it through these three um, these three who are doing the podcast and Maybe not. Um, but I think he, I think Howard generally wants to be in everyone's good graces. I think he wants to be seen one way, even though sometimes he acts another way.
0: Howard also has a new love interest this season, which makes us want to root for him even more.
2: There was something really nice about uh, character actors like me don't usually get a romance. Uh, you know, there's not. That's not something I get to play very often. Normally, if I have a partner in a show, I either, like, I've killed them in one show, I it's unrequited in several other shows, or I stand next to them and we never have any lines together. Um, but to have them write this sort of beautiful, romantic, sort of little night for Howard... Um, it was really fun to play. It was fun to, um, and it was easy to be nervous around Jason, who I'm such a fan of and is such a great actor. So, um, it was easy to, you know, act like I was falling in love with him.
0: (sighs) And I loved when you got confidence and you slicked back your hair a little bit and just walked in oh, with confidence. Yeah. It was so good. The turn was so perfect. It was so fun to watch. It was great. For a
2: minute, you're like, is Howard going to kill him? Or
0: <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> yeah, That and was you, <laughs> right. Absolutely. You're right. You're it like, goes um, back
2: and forth. Hi. Hi. So... Hypothetically, if I sent my cat to live with Agnes from the library for a while and got an air purifier and vacuumed my entire apartment and lint rolled all of my sweaters twice, like I did to this one... it's very nice. Oh, thank you. It's new. <laughs> if I did all of those things, would you consider going on a date with me? In the light? I think that line was something more like, what if I got rid of my cat or something originally? <laughs> and then... Um, We kind of changed it a little because I don't think Howard would get rid of his cat. I think he would maybe let the cat go somewhere he could visit it for a little while. But like I said, he always he has feelings in a moment and then just speaks them. So (laughs) at that moment, he really wanted to keep Jonathan around.
0: I was going to ask that. I was like, would Howard really get rid of his kitty? No, but he would do. I don't
2: think so, but I think that it was such a, like, what a magical night for him.
0: Oh, yeah. And then what a
2: horrible letdown when Jonathan starts sneezing. (laughs) So I think he was, he was, he was like, how do I make this work? How do I make this work? Here are all my options.
3: (laughs) And Jason Vesey, who plays Jonathan, is on Broadway in real life, too. Right now, he's in the Michael R. Jackson play, A Strange Loop, which won the Pulitzer for Drama in 2020 and the Tony for Best New Musical this year.
2: Oh, here's an interesting tidbit that Jason, who plays Jonathan, actually was in The Lion King on Broadway.
0: Oh, I was, you know, that's crazy. Insane? Wow. He Wait, okay, so did he, scared. was that why it's it written like that? Because he was? No, in the, like, no, it just I don't think they even knew that. I don't that think they even knew crazy. that when they cast him. There's a
3: oh, crazy coincidence.
0: That's amazing. I love stuff like that.
3: <laughs> We're ready for Howard to find love.
0: Human love rather than cat love. Although we love cat love, but human <laughs> I love. I mean, why not both? We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, the mutual respect between Madeline George and... And Michael Cyril Crichton and the Yodel herd round the world.
3: <laughs> YOLE.
2: <laughs> oh my god! I'm so sorry. I didn't realize you were out there. I was just coming to see if you had any batteries I could borrow. That's amazing because I was just gonna come and ask if you had any batteries I could borrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, thanks. Guess I'll ask 3C. Wait, no, come in. I have tons of batteries. If you have tons of batteries, why were you coming to ask if I had any batteries? I mean, I have tons of candles. Can I interest you in a votive or a a dripless taper?
5: Well, I mean, I couldn't be more excited about this storyline. First of all, (laughs) Michael Steril Creighton, who plays Howard, is just delish beyond delish. And I have... A hilarious genius who I've admired for years for his work in the theater as well as on, um, on the screen. And he is just like such a dream to write for. I was just, I was a fan of his for a long time, and I, I never had a chance to write for him in the theater. You know, I'm a playwright and he's a, a stage actor. But so this is like a crazy stroke of luck for both of us to get to work together like this.
3: Welcome back. This is Madeline George, the writer of episode eight. She and Michael Cyril Crichton, who plays Howard Morris, have known each other for years. And the admiration is mutual.
2: I used to work in a box office in, in the city and Madeline uh, did plays there. And I'm a big fan of Madeline as a playwright and a person. I just really like Madeline a lot. And um, when I found out that Madeline specifically was writing this episode, I was so thrilled because it's like, you can't go wrong with these writers. They're all incredible. Uh, like every single one of them uh, is a genius, but um,
5: I love Madeline so much, so I'm so excited that she wrote this episode. Yeah, we texted each other with, with a lot of delight when we found that out.
0: Madeline brought Howard to life in this episode, but as usual, the storyline was collaborative.
5: Yeah, I feel like actually it was Dan Fogelman, um, uh, one of our executive producers, who's who was like, I really would like to see Howard get some action i'm sure he said it more delicately than that but like you know this is an opportunity for us to to see howard go in a a new and an interesting direction and um yeah so he he steps out of his comfort zone as one might with the lights off you know where you can take a little bit more you, you have a little more courage um, and reaches out to one of his neighbors, played by the equally extraordinary Jason Vesey. Um, The two of them are just like, oh my gosh, they're so, they're so lovely together. There's a little <laughs> bit of a dark night of the soul moment, but a lot of people in the story are emboldened to make bigger connections than they would have if the lights weren't out.
3: Was that sound of silence I heard you singing yesterday?
2: It's the finale of our upcoming Simon and Garf Yodel concert.
3: Can I hear a couple bars?
2: No, 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 no. I never sing alone, that's why I founded a quartet. Okay, we'll duet. I'll do Simon, you do Garfiotto.
5: There's a lot of music sort of stealthily throughout all of Only Murders in the Building. And I think, again, I think this was a Dan Fogelman moment where he was like, I'd like to see them sing together but I, honestly, like that image of song reaching each other, you know, what I mean, across a, a, a big distance, it's definitely inflected by our experience of the pandemic in New York, you know, where there was this sense of like, sometimes there were people who went out every night onto their fire escape and performed for their neighbors, you know what I mean? Um and there was, of course, the sound every night at 7 p.m. of everybody leaning out the window and beating on our pots and pans. So I know this was common in lots of places, but in New York City, where it, when we were locked down, that the idea that like song or speech or noise could travel from apart from window to window, I think it really it became something very dear to our hearts as New Yorkers. So there's a little note of that in there. Um, But also like i think that in in this episode we finally get to go full goonies on these passageways you know what i mean and like really kind of run through them in the way that they were um that they're uh, any secret passageway is built to be run through um and being able to use song as a way to find each other in the darkness like that in the passageways was just like sort of delish for us the yodeling (laughs) i could not tell you except that it is one of those kind of like over-the-top flourishes that um, just belongs to the characters of the show and, and springs from the mind, really, I think, of John Hoffman.
3: Well, it works. It sounded really nice floating through the building with the song. Yeah,
5: they're very beautiful. Really, the best yodeled version oh, yodel. of Sound of Silence ever on Hulu, I can say with confidence.
3: <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend.
2: I've you got a Lady You're you yodel. Yodel. yodel, Lady, Yodel,
4: Lady.
3: The vision that was
0: planted in my grave still
4: remains
5: within the
4: sound of
0: silence.
5: In restless dreams, I walked
4: alone. Shh, there's that camera. Sorry, it's just one of the great breaks in folk rock history. It's hard not to sing along. <laughs>
5: Your baby stopped crying.
4: When my eyes were stabbed by the flash of a neon light that split the night
0: and, and touched the it.
2: sound
3: of Um, I-, I was actually just realizing the song of silence and Howard singing it, which kind of reflects on his life being alone for so long. Oh, and by the end of the episode, he does go on his first date.
5: Yeah, good point. So, That's brilliant. That's we meant that. That's why we did it. Yeah.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Even though Howard's yodeling may feel effortless on screen, Michael says it took a lot of practice.
2: I hardly know how to sing, <laughs> but John, pretty early on, before the season even started, called me one day and he's like, you know, this This is where my mind is at right now. I just wonder if you have a yodel in you. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> he said, I'm wondering if you have a yodel in you. And and because it's John Hoffman and because he's the greatest guy in the world and I love the show so much, I just say, yes, of course, yes, I do. I definitely do. I can definitely yodel. Which I then immediately started Googling how to yodel. Um, uh, I watched, basically I found this woman, Jennifer, on YouTube who um, had three videos that were like three basic steps to learn a basic yodel. Because John was like, it's not going to be a... It's not going to be a big yodel thing, I don't think, at this point. So just, you know, learn a basic yodel, learn how to crack your voice, etc.
1: Hello there, fellow yodelers. I'm Jennifer, and I'm going to show you how to yodel in a basic yodel in just a couple of easy steps. First thing I want to tell you is practice, 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 and never, ever, ever give up. Don't give up.
2: So, watch she these really great videos by this woman, Jennifer. Like it feels like it's not right and now. in the videos, she's always like, you know, um, she was really encouraging. She's like, you can do it, never give up. Uh, you know, you can write me or call me if you have an issue. So, I like spent many months probably very leisurely learning these three lessons. And then I was like, when I find out what I'm yodeling, I can call her. And it turned out she had passed away. So, oh I my-
3: couldn't oh. reach out to her. Jennifer might be gone, but her music lives on. We'll put a link to her how to yodel video in the show notes in case you want to start your own yodel shop quartet.
0: And the music group she started, Catty Wampus String Band, is pretty good, I'll tell you. We'll play a little bit at the end of the episode.
2: But her videos were incredibly helpful. And then so just practice and practice.
5: He worked his ass off to be a like star yodeler on that show. It's not like he came <laughs> in with yodeling under his special skills on his TV. <laughs>
3: next to cockney
5: accent (laughs) exactly historic dance
2: right the good thing was that you know howard is not a solo yodelist he's intentionally (laughs) singing with a quartet so he doesn't have to um uh stand out and i think it's the whole thing was that he just enjoys it he doesn't have to be good at it but he enjoys it and it's something that he's very passionate about but uh when it Turned out when I got the script and I was like, oh, I'm yodeling the sound of silence that like a song that is absolutely (laughs) (laughs) iconic in so many ways. I could not wrap my head around it. And I made like an SOS. I need help. Please, someone help me. And they hired this really amazing guy, Dan Faber, who actually you can see him in a shot of um, and I think it's episode three. He's one of the yodel shop people with the bow ties on. And he's a voice teacher and he knows how to yodel. And he spent all of this time with me, teaching me how to turn Sound of Silence into a yodel, which was um, something that my brain could not wrap its head around. <laughs> uh, and then he was there on set with me and he practiced with me and Jason who plays Jonathan. And um, so that's that's how that happened.
0: And now, now, Michael, you can actually say yes, that's on your skills in a resume.
2: Yes. <laughs> can't sing, but I can't yeah. know how to, I actually do know how to Gregorian chant from, um, which feel I'm not f- going to do right now. Feel free. So you know. Oh, damn it. Damn
0: it. <laughs>
2: nice try. Um, I do know how to Gregorian chant from high school, but um, it's, I mean, it's a different skill set. It right. definitely is a different skill set.
0: <laughs> Have you ever had to use that Gregorian chant for any... No,
2: no, I have not. um, Maybe, maybe someday, (laughs) maybe someday.
0: Well, what other songs does the Yodeler Simon and Garf Yodel group do, do you think?
2: (laughs) I don't know. Like, if we're just doing Simon and Garf Yodel songs, that's (laughs) one thing. But I also think that there would definitely be, like, you know, a whole genre of music. Like, I feel like he's probably really into like 90s. Like, Let the River Run would definitely be something. (laughs) Howard would yodel. Um, What else? Um, Dream a Little Dream of Me. That's not 90s, but that would be something. Um, I'm I'm branching away from Simon and Garf yodel. Um, (laughs) What else would Howard yodel? Really anything he was asked to yodel, he would yodel, I'm pretty sure.
0: Oh, okay. So if I asked you to yodel right now? You can do a bar or two if you like. (laughs) No, thanks. (laughs) Damn it, I keep trying.
3: Uh, Michael may not have been up for an impromptu yodel sesh, but he did send Keener a personalized yodel greeting after the interview.
2: Hello, Keener. It's Michael Cyril Creighton, also known as Howard Morris. I feel bad that I denied you the joy of a yodel. So here's a very basic yodel now. I have it warmed up. Hi, the a, hollerley, deo, Hi, the a, hollerley, too.
0: You're welcome. I mean, what a guy, KK. <laughs> how seriously. nice of him do that. How nice of him and how great. I mean, he just did a whole thing for you me. You must have made I said, him feel guilty. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, that's my jam. That's what I do. Um, he was amazing and I loved it so much. It made me smile ear to ear. No, but seriously, honestly, Michael is a gem. He really is. Um, okay. We've been talking about yodeling for a long time and we're almost done. But the last question we had was about filming the big ensemble singing scene. Maybe no surprise here, but it wasn't all shot at once.
2: Yes, they did them all at different times. Like, I don't... I think they did the lobby stuff before we even did the yodeling stuff. But they had a recording of... My, I think a, they had like a mock-up of the, my yodel instructor, Dan, <laughs> doing it. And I think they probably played that for the lobby. Um, and then I don't know when they did the stuff in the passageways. Uh, My favorite part in the entire episode is when Ursula starts singing. I think it is so funny. (laughs) I think it's so brilliant. (laughs) She's so funny. Um, But yeah, we didn't do it together. And then um, when Jonathan and I did it, uh, Jason, uh, we had earwigs so we could hear the tempo of the song.
1: uh,
2: And then we did it together and then we'd do it separate and then we'd do it you know just into a microphone we did it so many different ways that poor crew had to hear me <laughs> yodel for like <laughs> six hours it was wild but yeah it, it's all separate but it's so i think it's kind of very moving again mm-hmm. like the sort of community in the building sort of coming together i love any moment where like the whole building comes together in the show
3: Two people who probably wouldn't have spent this time together under normal circumstances are Nina Lynn and Lester, the doorman. And maybe it's the magic of the moment that gives them the ability to connect in a new way.
4: I'm headed downstairs. Need me to mail those papers? I'm not a robot, but I can still be helpful.
5: You know what? Maybe I should double check. In the light. About
2: that talk of automation. We may need to consider what we'd lose without the human touch at the door. Maybe some jobs could shift instead of getting cut.
3: How does director of resident support sound? Yeah,
5: It is a moment of mutual humanization, I think, for those two characters, the way that they spend time together in the blackout. And maybe she took um, Lester for granted a little bit before she had a chance to meet him in a more on more equal footing like in that moment and um and you know her her nefarious plans for the building are a little you know undefined you know she had some goals for it she maybe she would like to staff it fully with robots that might be somewhere in her head um but i think like everybody in the blackout episode like she yeah she values the person that she's with just a little bit more after they get sort of like stuck together in this way that's not a very deep thing to say, but I mean, I think she's an incredible character. I would, le- I personally would like to see more about her journey as the new board president. And it even
3: seemed like she was having second thoughts about that redesign of the building, putting that glass bubble on top of it.
5: Yeah. I mean, if anyone is going to convince her not to make a multi-million dollar investment in real estate, it's Lester.
3: fatherhood seems to be a big theme throughout the season and even marv he has issues about being a parent and relationship with his daughter and towards the end when he basically rescues lucy that's like a a big moment for him
5: yeah exactly he restores lucy basically to um to uh her pseudo family in other words mabel charles and oliver and um and yeah, he has a little, I mean, it's a little bit like he engineers it, but he has a moment of real heroism. And you can picture like him looking for spending his whole life looking for ways to like live up to his daughter's, you know, hopes for him. Here's showrunner
4: and co-creator John Hoffman. And Marv is certainly an extension of the superfans, but uh, a, a real perspective, hopefully a deepening perspective that takes him beyond superfan. And we know him as Marv by the end of it, and he's cares about his daughter and he he he's driven in ways that um you know are a little deeper and a little more relatable than we might have expected hopefully
0: and what a relief to know that although marv is uncomfortable with women in position of power he's not the killer
3: but that's not the biggest reveal of the episode
0: no way the biggest has to be glitter guy
3: yes listeners we're finally getting to it
0: after a quick break
4: You know, I saw that uh, little viral video of yours. What's stopping me from locking you up today, huh?
0: I was wondering the same thing. But why are you here, other than interrogating teenage girls?
4: That's just one part of the job I happen to like. So, where should we go. Uh, do you know the pickle? I do not. They have
2: the best disco fries and show. <laughs> I'm
4: sorry, I'm sorry. I got a new tattoo. What are you looking at, kook? Hmm? Yeah, drink your milk, weirdo.
0: And Kreps turns his head, and we see pink glitter behind his ear.
3: It makes sense that he's glitter guy. A police officer might work security part time.
0: And there was the text from the phone number in an earlier episode that said, "I'm the only one on the force who thinks you're too dumb to pull this off."
3: <laughs> and he's got the right build. But
0: maybe it's a coincidence. You know, listen, I'm, I still look at red herrings, even though they're far fetched. Maybe I don't know. It could
4: be glitter from something else. But why would Kreps be doing this?
0: And KK, did he give any clues earlier on in the? Season to make us suspicious of him.
4: There are elements of surprise that we have to do here that will reveal themselves and make more sense as we go along. Here is co-creator and showrunner John Hoffman. Um, but there should be surprise there, and and I think a compounding of problems uh, that this new revelation might create. But then also questions. And I think that last conversation between Mabel and Krebs in that lobby of the Arconia, um, where she's wondering, why aren't you arresting me right now after that viral video uh, that you saw? And what exactly is going on with you? And so there's dual sides to it. Um, so she's, she's wondering why he's not acting in this moment, if what she knows now is true, and how to get to what's really going on is the great investigative mind that Mabel Mora has that will hopefully um, kick into action in a new way in the next two episodes. Kreps
0: is looking very guilty right now, but is there some possible innocent reason for the glitter and the injury that would make him a red herring?
3: Maybe he has some weird glitter fetish or maybe he opened up a card that (laughs) had glitter in
0: it. Yeah. Those are very popular now. I hope those go away. No, we have to take it. We always have to look outside the box. I mean, we just have to because that's what you want to do, even if it's, I mean, or a less weird explanation might be he has a young daughter he was working on an art project with. I don't, you know, and and maybe he Mm -hmm.
4: really did get
0: a tattoo it's
4: coming these are the right questions and i think that's part
1: of the charm of the show
3: here's ali stroker again she plays superfan paulette and hosts the hulu after show one killer question
1: part of the charm of the show is that like you are sucked into all of these side stories and these red herrings and you're just like Oh my God, it totally could be that. It's just like one of those really good mystery books that you can't put down. You want to read the next chapter. You need to know what happens. And I just think the writing on the show is so Uh, smart and so so creative and so good. Superstar writers, superstar cast. Totally. It's kind of like a masterclass. Like you can watch every moment on set, whether we're filming or not, and learn something. I mean, these are masters. These are legends of our time. And to watch them work and how they relate to each other. I mean, the dynamic between Martin Short and Steve Martin is like something that is it's like it's like iconic for our generation right you know and 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 so to be around that and to be able to watch them interact and then work together um being working with Selena Gomez who's just like this superstar mm-hmm. superstar and 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 then of course all of the other you know characters and guest artists i mean what's so amazing is that it feels like we've sort of been able to get like New York's finest, uh, absolutely. right? Between Nathan Lane and Jane Lynch. It's just like, right. gosh, these like, Jane, how do show? Like, these are New York legends.
0: Okay, back to Glitter Guy. Here's writer Madeline George.
5: First of all, we like it if people's jaws are on the floor at the end of the episode. That's always fantastic. So we like to hold off on a big reveal until the end and give people something that they can really look forward to coming back for. Um, and I don't know I, personally. I feel like you know the the character of Detective Krebs. Like he's just been cruising for a bruise, and like we just want to we just want to punch that guy in the mouth. um And so now to know that like in fact there's much much more to him than we have known up till now feels to me, tantalizing. It's like, right, now let's get into it.
3: Take him down a peg.
5: (laughs) Yeah, let's find out what the hell is going on with this guy.
3: And I also realized um, Howard's paramour, uh, (laughs) he sneezed in this episode, uh, which apparently was from Howard's cat, but I've been keeping an eye out for people sneezing since the person in the catacombs chasing after Lucy sneezed. So I am keeping my eye on
5: that good well that's great if there's if there's nothing else that we can do for America we can make people notice sneezes more assiduously
3: Um, so Keener and I usually like to ask towards the end of an interview uh, if anyone would have a clue for us, something we can kind of think about and mull over do you have something you'd like to share
1: I don't know (laughs) I don't know
5: I've I mean, taken I guess, Nina
3: Lynn off my list of suspects.
5: <laughs> I think that's fair. Like, after you see a sweet scene like that, you know that we're not, like, we're not gunning for her. I mean, I guess, I guess this is the question. It's, like, the clue is just, like, you know, how how many people can fit in a Tyvek suit?
3: Oh, that
2: is a good one. Um, do I have any clues for you? That's... I- a horrifying question because they feel like they get in so much trouble for saying anything.
0: Hmm. It could be something that already happened that you know people glossed over.
2: Oh, there's a million things that have already happened that people glossed over. I don't think anybody <laughs> is. I don't think anybody knows exactly what happened. No one right. is guessing exactly what happened yet.
0: KK, we know what time it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's time for the Who Done It Summit. Who Done It Summit. Okay, so go ahead. This, this is, is well, first of
3: all, this is where Keener and I write down who we think the murderer is based on what we've seen so far. So up until episode eight, we've written down our suspect, put it on a piece of paper, and put it in a sealed envelope until right now. Keener, yes. do you want to okay. start with you?
0: Yes, you open mine first, please. Okay. Here we go.
3: Okay. And you said, and you said Alice, the art gallery owner.
0: Yes, Alice. How dare she? Okay, th- th- let me tell you re- really fast. I don't even know. I don't even think it's her, to be honest with you, but she needs to get her comeuppance. She was horrible. She DM'd somebody who was very vulnerable, Mabel, right? For right. her own good, for her own good. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of people doing that. I'm telling you right now, and that's what she did to Mabel. <laughs> Poor, she she made it. She made the one bloody Mabel. She made it happen. She used her. She did all these things. Made her break things. Made her do this. Then she she made her relive it by going into it, making her apartment look again. I mean, it was just too much for me. KK,
3: don't and she took ever, that photo where Bunny died on Mabel's floor. So that
0: oh, in hor odd, that's horrible. She's a user. Goodbye. Good riddance. Ta-ta. All right, are you ready for mine? Yes, go ahead. Okay, open it up. Here it goes. Ooh, Detective Kreps.
3: Yes. Now, I'll be honest with you, throughout the whole episode, I thought the murderer was Marv, the superfan. Yes. Because his group kind of wasn't buying his other theories. We already know that he knows the catacombs, and he knows that Lucy is home alone. So that was my you know through the whole episode but then at the very end when detective Krebs has the glitter on his neck i mean right. i don't know how you get out of that
0: i don't know so and then
3: detective Krebs yeah. is my suspect but i don't know why he would kill bunny um but i'll tell you and he
0: had a sh- his shoulder was uh bruised his or something because you know, inter- so, mm-hmm. uh howard bumped into his shoulder yeah yours is better than mine but i'll tell you alice alice doesn't live here anymore goodbye goodbye <laughs>
3: Thanks for listening to Season 2, Episode 8 of Only Murders in the Pod. Our inbox is open again, so please send over your thoughts and theories to StrawhutMedia.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps people find the show.
0: Only Murders in the Pod is a production of Straw Hut Media. Hosted by Elizabeth Keener, me, and Kevin Lawn. Me. Produced by Ryan Tillotson and Maggie Bowles. Associate producer is Stephen Markley. Original music by Kyle Merritt and Only Murders theme music by Siddhartha Kosla. Big, big thanks to John Hoffman as usual, Xavier Salas, Louisa Multini, and the entire Hulu team. KK, it's time to read some fan mail. Fan mail? Yeah. Okay, people give us their ideas, their clues, their perceptions. Theories, theories all of it. So this one is from Sarah B. Hi, re-watching some episodes in season two, I started to see some connections between Alice and Marv. When he and the fan club were sitting in the diner talking to Charles, Mabel, and Oliver, Marv mentioned that he knew about the secret passageways in the Arconia because he does mold removal. In that scene, there's a respirator on the table, and Marv is wearing a full-body blue protective suit. In the scene when Alice is on the phone with Mabel, when Alice is at the studio with a leaky roof, Alice is wearing a similar full-body protective suit, but tied at her waist. And Alice knows about the passageways because she was with her dad on a job in the building as a kid. Just a thought. That's a great thought, Sarah B. Thank you Isn't so it? much. Right? I had to read that one.
3: And maybe Alice is not British after all, which is something we discussed.
0: Oh, man, she's lies upon lies and trying to help (laughs) her through things. It's just ridiculous.
3: So, Keener, my pick for this week is from Jennifer in New York, and I picked hers because it was a little different, because she doesn't have a suspect per se, but she has a great idea for next season that I wanted to read to you. Mm hmm. So she wants to float this out into the universe, a musical episode next season. Ooh. She's thinking perhaps a Yodel Shop Quartet, Selena Gomez, Steve Martin, Nathan Lane, Divine Joy Randolph, and Jane How
0: um, yeah, I just want I know, to say that's I five. I know. I think it would be quintet. a yodel
3: shop quintet. Quintet. So
0: we'll just fix that for her. <laughs>
3: <laughs> she said she doesn't even care if it's an Oliver Putnam production, and she'd want to watch it just based on the cast alone. I think that's a fantastic idea, and I also yes. want to help put that into the universe as well. We are putting it out there.
0: Um, okay, so let's read some of the names we couldn't get to. But go ahead.
3: Yeah, we have Robert V. Laura F. from Brazil. Elizabetta and Lucas from France, Candy and Thomas from Virginia,
0: Anna B from Miami, Allie W, Ken,
3: Lisa J from Vegas, Jeff from West Virginia, Chloe, Brendan, Tom, Akira. We got a lot of uh, good ideas this week from people. I mean, so many. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Thanks, everyone. We really appreciate it. Keep them coming. Yeah, I think generally all the time.
2: I'm always <laughs> I'm like like all the time. Every time I open my mouth a little bit nervous to uh talk to someone. So there was no acting happening whatsoever. Um yeah, no, it was I it was I have I have had that feeling
3: um several times. I do I am a nervous person in general, but um Jennifer might be gone, but her music lives on. We'll put a link to her "How to Yodel" video in the show notes in case you want to start your own yodel shop quartet.
0: Okay, Kay. You know what? We could double up: two of me, two of you, and then that's it. <laughs> could, or no, no, we'll pull up. We'll pull. We'll pull Ryan and Maggie in, our producers. We'll like all four of us. All right, guys, get ready for that one.
3: <laughs> it should go really well. Uh, we just got the final two episodes this morning. Oh, I know. So. I, I know. I
0: have it. I know.
3: But so I can't look at anything
0: until I'm told I can look. Can't
3: look at anything, but I'm going to watch them tonight.
0: <laughs> oh my god! Can you email me? Can you email me? <laughs> Wait, do I you? Want, I mean, do you know, but you just haven't seen? Is that basically what it is? You just is that? No, I've seen. I've seen. Oh, oh my I've god. seen them. Um, I got a sneak
2: peek of them, but oh. I mean, it's just exciting for yes. to like to see what how people are gonna, I don't know, it's just exciting.
5: I think we pictured Howard being very comfortable, both um, organizing an archive of books and protecting them from the general public, which is the librarian's um, secret wish is to keep everybody, off their grubby mitts off of the books in the library
3: he's on the board too right he's, he's well, the board for the building
5: <laughs> <He> is, <laughs> those notes. you know he's a he's a man of many talents and also a man of, of of many unexplored valences I think that we would love to get Howard to do every possible different kind of thing that he's capable <laughs> of in the show <laughs>